there, all you Leaf Turners, and welcome to Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, the podcast for Academy Award do-overs. This is Lee speaking. This is Spro speaking. How are your holidays, Spro? <laughs> Fine. Yours? They were good. They were nice. Like, I'm not much of a holiday person. Like you, I like seeing my family and my sisters and their families and such. But all the bullshit of you having to spend money and give gifts and everything like that. You don't have to. But I mean, like, there is an expectation sometimes. You can't show up to a Christmas party without a gift. Right. My wife's sisters, they all just decided once upon a time, like, they they would do a gift exchange. And they would involve their spouses or their boyfriends. And after a while, they were like, should we even... And everyone was like, no. Yeah, no, my sisters do it like... And I was like, hooray! <laughs> my sisters and I don't buy for each other because I buy for the kids. Yes. And so I don't buy for them anymore, but they buy for me. Yes. But yeah, give me a large table with good food and my family or favorite people around it. The holidays are all worth it. That's nice. That's nice. So now all the holidays are over. Do you get the gloomies in January, Mr. Spro? I get the zoomies. First day, New Year's Day, I get to sit down and write out a new list, you know, 26 things that I want to accomplish in the new year. If I don't accomplish anything in the past year, then I add those to the list, so it kind of decreases how many opportunities I get. But this year, I put on the list that you and I are going to go to the movies to see the Oscar shorts before the Oscars. I was waiting for you to ask me to do that. <laughs> like, I was thinking about the list and what I wanted to do, and you're like, hey, can I be on the list? And you're actually technically kind of on it twice. I think I've mentioned it either on the show or behind the scenes. I was like, when you're back in town, we could go to the Capitol Theater and we could watch the shorts and it's going to be amazing. Excited about that. And then you said that you could teach me some guitar plucking. I could. I look forward to that. And you? You get the gloomies? (laughs) My wife's birthday is in January and, you know, it's pretty early in January. So it's like right after the entire flush of, of holidays and everyone's tired and partied out and bummed because all the Christmas decorations are still up, but it's all over. And I always fuck with her and I'm like, you have the worst birthday ever. She's like, oh, I know. <laughs> Growing up, everyone was like, you got plenty for your for Christmas. We don't need to do anything. <laughs> but yeah, yes and no. I, I enjoy taking the decorations down, if I'm being honest. Getting the, the house back to what it should look like normally, but... No, I'm just trying to make conversation. It is weird that, like, when you take the Christmas decorations down, that you then shelter in place for three months with no decorations. I feel like... Christmas should get moved to, like, end of January, beginning of February? Well, somewhere the Earth tilted on its axis, and winter starts a month, a month and a half later. Because um, it can go now till opening day of baseball season. But, yeah, we're going to be sheltering in place for the next three months. It has started today with snowstorms, and our... Houses look like they will in the summertime. I feel like there should be winter decorations of some sort. If you say so. You started in 2023. We're doing a lot of personal discussions right now, which... I don't know, kind of bother me when I listen to podcasts sometimes. It's like nobody gives a fuck about you guys. But you started a master's program this year in screenwriting. I did. and how, uh, Well, last year, yeah, that is. How's that going, man? Um, it's good. I got into the program because I Googled the top 10 programs in the country. I ruled out anything in New York. I just, I don't want to go to live in New York. I don't blame you. Um, there was one in North Carolina. Columbia was like quarter of a million dollars for a four-year master's screenwriting program, which <laughs> I'm sure... They teach secrets of the biz, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm pretty sure the biz doesn't have too many. And so 
I ended up going to Stevens because their program centers around females. And already what I've learned is that, you know, back in the silent film era, 50% of all films were written by women. And actually there was women directors. You have Lois Weber, Eve Unsell. You have Bess Meredith, Mary Pickford, if you don't know, it should be a household name. Like these women were pioneers. And it wasn't until like the 1930s when Wall Street went, oh, we can make money in Hollywood that all the men came over and like kicked everybody out. I mean, one of the first films of all time, I think it's called The Sneeze. The star of it was an African-American woman. Like Hollywood had pretty much no respect back in the day. It was kind of like joining the circus. If you were going to go to Hollywood and make films, there was no respect to it. And so anybody could do anything. And there was so much inclusion back then. So it's been a joy to like learn all this, all this history. And the other thing that Stevens College does, it works a lot with the WGA. It works with the Academy which now sometimes I go and I go, man, I feel like a spy because we have this podcast that's all about like yelling at the Academy and suddenly I have an Academy sticker and I'm getting into the library that they host. But the good thing is, is the Academy, I am realizing, does so much more than what we talk about. They're so much more than an, an award show. So there's the Margaret Herrick Library, which is kind of like the archives of everything film-related. So the Academy not only is giving out awards, which is the glitz and glam and what everybody in America sees, but they are actually being the archivist. Is that a word? Archivist? 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 Yeah, I don't think you say archivist. <laughs> they are the... Archival institution? I, they're the historians. Film historians? The film historians. But they're right. also archiving. They're not just collecting information. They're collecting film reels and... Yeah. They're working in part with, like, Martin Scorsese, you know, like, doing the um, film registries and everything like that. That's awesome. Um, I was able to see a silent film in the Women's Club um, Theater, which was amazing because it was accompanied by a live pianist who played for two and a half hours straight just looking at the screen and like matching the emotion as he was going wow. he was like improving the whole thing so it was almost like a jazz concert in a way and then the reel fell off the projector behind the screen and the projectionist just like got up and just was like hand unrolling the projector so the film could keep going and the pianist didn't like miss a beat like everything about this experience has been amazing and i think i might keep going like i think i want to get a doctorate in film studies I thought I wanted to get a doctorate in English literature, and that changed my mind. <laughs> I guess if I find a subject that I would want to spend all that time on a dissertation, because it's a lot of work. That, that's why when you're like, hey, Mr. Bruckheimer, and they're like, Dr. Bruckheimer. Like, I can see that like being like a thing, you know? Because I'd be like, I wrote a 400-page paper, so I could be called doctor. But yeah. The master's program is great, and I'm glad that I joined it. And I think that's what everybody says about getting your master's, is that it's something that you actually want to study. Enough about me. You moved back to Cleveland. How's the transition been? It's great. It's still a trip to be home, to be able to drive over to my parents' house whenever I want uh, and leave whenever I want. We don't have to share the same space. Um, yeah, it's it's great. There's a lot I want to get done in 2024, uh, uh, personally and professionally. So, But I will take this opportunity to once again thank Odd Dog Coffee uh, for their love and support. If it wasn't for the Hancock family giving me and my, my wife a job, we might be pushing grocery carts down the street at the at the Heinen's. Um, luckily, I, I, I can be found Monday through Friday between 8 and 3, parked on the corner 
corner of Mayfield and Euclid, just in the shadow of the Museum of Contemporary Art. You'll see me bundled up, sitting in a mint green coffee bus with my beautiful wife, selling delicious coffee, espresso, tea, pastries, lattes, all of it. So thank you again to them. But yeah, it's 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 been a trip to be back. You know my favorite pastry maker that Odd Dog works with is Baked, baked as Baked as Fuck. But it, it's not Baked as Fuck, it's Baked... Amira, whatever her name is. Oh, but it's a play. It's like a <laughs> yeah. I didn't. It's know a that. double entendre. So thank you for asking. Um, and not that pushing carts in a parking lot is <laughs> any less admirable of a job for any cart pushers that are listening. Um, it's a shitty job. I've done it. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not an admirable job, but go ask the cart pushers if they wish they were pushing carts. <laughs> All right, today is our year in review for 2023, but before we get into that, I just have a dash of housekeeping, if you would permit me. First and most importantly, Spro and I are henceforth moving our season release schedule to the first of the year. So the last four seasons, we've released most of our content between August and December, but for season five, we decided to begin in January. We'll probably pop back into your lives for an occasional episode, but the bulk of our content, our eight episodes will begin in January. So, All right, and then second, and nowhere near as important, music. <laughs> Lee always forgets to mention this. For every season of Saltota, he's been creating a Spotify playlist, which features music called from the films him and I watch and discuss. And if you're like us and you love music from the movies, you can find links to the playlist in our Insta profile, or just go to Spotify, search Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, and the playlist should be the second, third, fourth, and fifth hits, I think. I love putting those together, by the way. I, I'm going to become you... a subscriber right now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, third. Is there a third? I do want to say congratulations to Morgana O'Reilly. She just landed uh, a part on White Lotus Season 3, which is big news because that's probably going to give her some American eyes. And uh, I think Americans should see how fucking funny she is and talented. So I hope that that eventually can lead her to that dream role of playing Lady Macbeth that she talked about. Yes. All right. So essentially, we're here today to honor an arbitrary system of signifiers that tells us when one compartmentalized time period ends and a new one begins, but I prefer it the way Fran Kubelik says it in the apartment. Ring out the old old year, year, ring in the new, ring a ding ding. (laughs) Let's kick this off by talking dollars and cents. Mm. So help me out here. Um, These are last year's top 10 grossing films, worldwide gross, not domestic. Number 10 was Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, which made just a little bit over $476 million. Uh, Number nine was Elemental at $496 million. Uh, Number eight is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, $567.5 million. Uh, The Little Mermaid at number seven at $569 million. Number six is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, $690.6 million. (laughs) Number five is Fast X at $704.8 million. Number four, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at $845 million. And then number three is Oppenheimer, just under a billion dollars at $952 million. And then number two is the Super Mario Brothers movie at $1.3 billion. And I don't think anybody's going to be surprised by this, but number one was Barbie at $1.445 billion. Hey, Barbie. <laughs> How many of these did you see in the theater? Half. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man, which I see every time it comes out with my nephew JJ, and Mission in the po- Mission in the Possible. Mission in the Possible. <laughs> Mission Impossible. Uh, I saw all those in the theater. And yourself? Uh, I saw one of these. I saw one. It was Barbie. 
but I'm going to do better in 2024. I don't, I'm not trying to see all the biggest movies that come out every year, but I'd want to get my ass to the movies on a more regular basis. So, um, as you should, as everybody should, except for the fact while we're discussing 2023, I'm starting to get perturbed at my movie theater experiences. And I don't mean to bash movie theaters because I want them to be around forever and I want that experience to be around forever. But when you go into a movie theater, they have the cushy chairs, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I have yet to find one nowadays where the headrest is not worn out from years of sweat. Head oil. (laughs) Head oil, whatever it is. I just put up my hoodie to make sure that my the back of my head does not touch the headrest and other people's as you said head oil and neck sweat but i then i'm the man watching movies alone in a hoodie so yeah that's a little creepy too then the 30 minutes of trailers and commercials and my problem with the trailers is that it's not necessarily the trailers like of the ilk of the movie that you're gonna see if i'm going to see a horror show me five horror trailers because obviously i'm a horror fan and that's what i'm interested in but now you go see a movie and you're gonna get three trailers from like the major studios of the movie that you know is coming out and you've already decided whether or not you want to see i know dune part two is coming out i don't need a three minute trailer in front of poor things you know answer some emails then during the trailer (laughs) i don't know what to tell you dude Or just if you're going to have 30 minutes of trailers, commercials, start those before the movie start time, because I'm one of those diligent people that have to be on time. So I have to be there for 30 minutes. Well, I mean, if I'm paying that money, I want to sit in that comfy chair and relax. Like I saw the Marvels started 30 minutes late, but people are trying to gauge that now. And so people are walking in like 45 minutes after the movie is supposedly started. But yeah, so that's my rant against. I want movie theaters to figure their shit out a little bit. I like when the trailer's bad and then it ends and there's like dead silence and I can go. (laughs) It's fun. I enjoy that. Usually gets like maybe one chuckle. Yeah. Let's talk movie news. Okay. And I think first and foremost, we'll get the comic book uh, movie news out of the way. Superhero flicks are continuing to decline. Marvel had three major releases this year and they all underperformed. I don't think audiences have stopped showing up necessarily. I mean, underperforming for them is not hitting a billion. Uh, And these movies are still making hundreds of millions. But they kind of seem to hit a patch where I think casual or curious viewers are skipping theatrical runs. And only the dedicated and the diehards are the ones lining up outside theaters. Off screen, actor Jonathan Majors, who was set to play Kang, Kang the Conqueror, the next big villain in the Avengers films, was found guilty of one count of reckless assault in the third degree and a charge of harassment in violation. Footage was released of him running away from a belligerent woman, I believe was his ex-girlfriend. Audio was released wherein the actor chastises his girlfriend, presumably the same woman, for getting drunk and goes on to compare himself and his work uh, to that of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. No, I'm not. I, I, I shouldn't have gone out. I'm no, no, sorry. Let me, just, let me just lay it out for you. Right? If I am... I'm just going to say this. My temper... My shit, my travel block, all that, all that said, right? And I'm not saying I'm a great man, a great man. I am doing great things, not just for me, but for my, for my culture and for the world. That is actually the position I'm in. That's real. I'm not being a dick about it. 
I didn't ask for it. I've worked, and that's the situation. And in the early weeks of this year, 2024, he did an interview for ABC News, which I think was intended to repair um, a damaged reputation. I don't think it worked. The internet hates him. He's been let go by Disney, pretty much everybody else with whom he's been connected. And uh, I'm kind of worried about his mental health state. You know, I don't want I don't want him to do anything dumb. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I mean, his. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm not um, going to say what I'm thinking out loud. <laughs> well, no, it's just it goes along with what we were saying in one of the previous episodes where I was like, nobody deserves to be a celebrity. Yeah. He had a momentous opportunity. I think he thought about it in completely the wrong way. You're not Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. because you play Kane the Conqueror in a Marvel's film. <laughs> or are you? <he? laughs> but but Marvel has recasted before Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle. And you know what? Don Cheadle, upgrade from Terrence Howard. So I look forward to seeing who gets the next opportunity, and I hope that they don't squander it like Jonathan Majors. And sure, I hope Jonathan Majors doesn't do anything dumb, but he already has. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I think 2024 is a rebuilding year for Marvel. This summer, they've got Deadpool 3 coming out with Hugh Jackman returning as Wolverine. And the other Marvel releases this year are all from Sony Studios. But in 2025, they've got four major releases planned. Thunderbolts, Blade, Captain America, Brave New World, and the Fantastic Four. Which the the latter is uh, notoriously poorly made. Yeah, tough sell. Yeah. Well, not a tough sell because it's beloved by fans, by comic book fans, but nobody can seem to make a movie that, that coalesces it. Right. But like, so they tried the first time, right? Jessica Alba was in the, and uh, Michael Chiklis. Michael Chiklis. <laughs> the commish. And then they tried again with Kate Mara and Michael B. Jordan. And I think because the grade keeps going down, to do it again, people are only going to show up with like a Morbius curiosity of what does this look like? So superhero fatigue is like, it should be in the Webster dictionary, Ah. right? Because this is how much we are talking about superhero fatigue. And I went to see the Marvels and I was like, you know what? I don't think I have superhero fatigue, but here's the thing with these, like the superhero movies, they're not saving humans anymore. Everything is sci-fi, aliens, some other world. And I'm like, you know what? I'm disconnected. Like, I don't care about this right now. So I'm hoping in one of these movies that they return to Earth and they save fucking the middle class. (laughs) (laughs) All right. DC, who has always lagged behind Marvel, uh, experienced an all-time low in 2023 with The Flash which, despite an effort, fell pretty short of expectations. They also released Blue Beetle, which, despite getting very positive reviews, it was the least financially successful film that the DCU has ever released. But there's hope on the horizon. James Gunn's revamped DCU film universe is launching this year with some television shows. And then I think the following year, I think 2025, they're going to end up going head-to-head with Marvel. I I got sick of researching this for the news segment (laughs) because... I'm still. We've covered this ground before. I'm still of the mind. You're never going to do better than Endgame. Endgame, no. Endgame was the apex for all comic book movies. I think DCU could have their apex, and maybe James Gunn will get them there. But suffice to say, uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, once upon a time was like talking about how you know comic book movies, superhero movies are going to go the way of the the western. And I don't know. It doesn't look like comic book movies are going any anywhere anytime soon. But it's got to be a bubble. Either the quality is going to go way down which we've started to see with we, the CGI. When did the Eternals come out? Was that 2021? Oh, that was 
was like one of the ones right after Endgame. It was one of the first of mm-hmm. the following phase. I mean, it's they, there kind of hasn't really been anything good since Endgame. No. I think people would argue with me. Well, they would say No Way Home. Yeah, I couldn't and- wait for that to end. <laughs> I really couldn't. I was so bored. I enjoyed when the three Spider-Mans were together, but there were so many things that I was like, that doesn't make sense. Fan service, fan service, fan service, fan service. Um, What's like the number one thing that the Spider-Mans protect? Innocent civilians. And their identity, identity. right? What's the one thing that they did when they first ran across like Zendaya? Oh, here's my face. It's like, oh, I don't even remember that. They're like, I'm Andrew Garfield. So See, like, I don't, I'm not like, oh, and I'm like, why the fuck is Spider-Man taking off his mask? Oh, to, for fan service. If it was Batman, then I would have been pissed about it. But I'm just, I've never liked Spider-Man. <gasps> He's my favorite. It's because you're a dork. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a bubble. You're a bubble. Disney can't keep putting in all this money into these things that aren't making the money back. Eventually, you realize nobody cares anymore. I mean, Star Wars has gotten there. Yeah. All right, moving on. Declining Pixar box office returns. I have that with a question mark because, on one hand, the Toy Story spinoff Lightyear, which... Fucking horrible. Reportedly lost north of $100 million, and it's being cited as a main reason for the upcoming Disney-imposed Pixar layoffs that are supposed to be occurring. Well, right after we got off the horn with Emily about the actor strikes and whatnot, there was an animator, an executive producer of animation, who was thrilled with AI because they could lay off 90% of their workforce with AI when it comes to animations. So regardless of whatever Disney says about why they're laying off people, there's a good chance chance is just to increase profits. <laughs> well, I think all layoffs are to increase profits. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. But then you have Elemental, which is a strange case. It opened domestically to less than $30 million, which was the lowest opening for Pixar ever. And then somehow it finished its theatrical run after scraping together nearly $500 million in worldwide grosses. So I don't know. It's interesting. That one must have been a word of mouth and the word of mouth on Lightyear must have been pretty negative. And it's weird because the word of mouth on Lightyear, all they talked about was a homosexual relationship in it. Yeah, that's all I remember about. Right. And then it was Lightyear as a real person. And I was like, he's a toy. (laughs) Like, I don't care what the toy's story is. Oh. But Elemental, all my students were talking about that it was one that brought them actual joy, which I was glad for. I watched it. It was fine. Did you watch it? No. Um, I've been off the Pixar train for a while now. There is a song in it that I would be okay with winning. And we've already talked about my hatred for the award of best original song. But we just watched the movie again during a, a cold day with my students. And the song played and I was like, I think I really like this song. What's the song? Oh. <laughs> All right, moving when on. Somebody but... loved you. No, it's uh, but it's it's like a love song like that. Like everything makes sense. I'll look it up myself, and maybe so will our listeners. <laughs> Let's stick with an animation discussion and talk about Super Mario Brothers, Hmm. which I did watch because it's on Netflix right now. Obviously, studios are financially driven, and because of that, I think we can expect a whole lot more video game adaptations in the coming years. In fact, I just heard uh, that Wes Ball has been named director of the upcoming Legend of Zelda film, which means a whole lot more to me than Mario Brothers. So I'm worried about that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is there a video game adaptation that you would 
would like to see made and do you have like a, a star you would like to see in it or a director or I have mine which would oh. be it would be Brie Larson in a Metroid movie she's already gone on record saying that she would play Samus Aran in a heartbeat if they want to make a Metroid movie huh so I'm not a gamer, but I want to be. I just, I can't settle down enough for it. My nephews are really trying, and so I'm allowing them to. But I will say, on a positive, Super Mario Brothers made me want to play Super Mario for N64. Yeah. After watching the movie, I was like, man, I want to play Mario. Like, I have it. Do you? <laughs> I have a 64 at my house. Nice. Uh, mine was stolen. I think the movie did what it was supposed to, which is make you want to play the video game. But I'm fine with video games having the their own world and movies having their own world when you brought up legend of zelda i was like fuck like i remember one of the last games that i really ever enjoyed in life since like quitting gaming i guess you could say is ocarina of time um and then i was just sitting at a table the other day and somebody was like you have to play call of the wild uh breath of the wild breath of the wild you don't have to play it oh i hear great things about well that i mean it's a time suck it's an enormous open world Zelda. So the game that wrecked me, that ruined me, is Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Okay. It's way too big. And then you won't like Breath of the Wild. Okay. Breath of the Wild is the, it's the Zoom, it's Gen Z's and Gen Alpha's Zeldas. Oh, okay. But, I mean, or it's anybody's that enjoys open world, but it is an enormous game. Can you play it on the Switch? Yeah. If you really want to play it, I have it. You could borrow my Switch and the game. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I, Tune I think... in for my reaction. <laughs> <laughs> That's our summer episode. <laughs> the last one I played all the way through was Twilight Princess, which was I, I would dare say better than Ocarina because, I mean, Ocarina is as special to me as it is to you, but you can't really go back and play Ocarina. The polygons are, are rough. Yeah, and I can't, like, if I try to experience things twice, it's never as good the second time, usually. Right. Unless I'm talking about a movie for Second Chance Cinema. Every time, like, that like, reverberates in my head, it's like, there... <laughs> Except for that. <laughs> you have a podcast about watching things twice. But that would be, like, I like that a Metroid movie would be cool. Uh, my nephew JJ got me onto Subnautica, which is a beautiful game. Very and beautiful. I lost a lot of time playing that because I forget that, like... You Enjoyed yourself. Yeah, I lost time. <laughs> you hate that phrase? You don't like that sentence? Well, you used you... it in reference to work, yeah. but you then followed that up with saying that you like that. Yeah. Work is what gets you off. So it's not losing time. It, but, like, you forget time is passing. Like, oh. I don't like being, like, bored to the point of being like, watching the clock tick. Like, gotcha. losing time means I played Subnautica for three hours and thought, like, it was 30 minutes. Lost track of time. Sure. Losing time just sounds... It sounds Quicker like you, to say? It's, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Let's talk about something that upset me this year, and that is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So... We saw this one together about three days after my wonderful wife and I got back to Ohio and the day before she and I began working at Odd Dog Coffee. Obviously, I was displeased, but was I displeased because it was bad, because it didn't meet my expectations for this proper send-off I was hoping for, or because it collided with my own anxieties and midlife crisis? Probably all three. I'm going to say something that I think I said this on a, on a podcast before, but it's not my original thought. It is a dude named Van Latham, who is on occasionally on a, a, another movie podcast. But he said, I think things have expiration dates. And after a certain point in time, people just aren't interested anymore. It doesn't transfer from one generation to the next. And I think Indiana Jones 
hit its expiration date. And it has nothing to do with Ford's age. I'm not being an ageist. Uh, you know, everybody being like, Indiana Jones in the old people joke. <laughs> so hacky. It's like, go fuck yourself. But I was, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it just bummed me out. It didn't make any money. And uh, I, I think I'll always remember, too, in the parking lot after we, because we went to the bagel place, and I grabbed some food. I was kind of dumbfounded. I was hoping to sit down, and they're like, looked like they were, like, closing. And when we went back to our car, this guy came ripping through in an Audi and almost hit my wife and I. And I all I did was I did the, like, slow down with my hands. I didn't flick him off. I didn't go, hey, you fucking asshole. I just kind of did the, like, chill. And he looked at me, kept driving, and then beeped and flicked me off. And then I followed him <laughs> for a while, really close. And my wife got really upset with me. So I scared the shit out of him. I scared the shit out of my wife. And then the rest of the day was ruined. So <laughs> that's what I'm going to think of when I think of Dial of Destiny. <laughs> I like Indiana Jones, but you love it. And I wanted to be there hoping that you would get your proper send-off. And as we watched it... Uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, is this James Bond <laughs> or is this 007? And I was it's like, awesome. no. So we're watching it and I don't mind it. And I thought you weren't minding it. Like, but then after the movie, you like got up and wanted to storm out. And I was just sitting there and you're like, oh, do you like watching the credits? <laughs> and I was like, no, I just, okay, you want to get out of here? <laughs> Did I really say that? What an asshole. Are you a credit watcher or something like that? And I was like, no, I just reveling. <laughs> Just sitting moment. here for a little second. I had a thought it wasn't going to be a great movie. Hence why it did not oh, appear Oh, you kept that. talking about it. Yeah. And, it, you know, good for you doing the Indiana Jones podcast because that's one of our highest viewed episodes. You, Rudy, and Lawrence. I had very little to contribute to it. I rewatched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull probably for the first time all the way through and completely agree that other than some scenes in it, it's not that bad of a movie. And Dial of Destiny was a weird watch, but I don't think it was necessarily a completely piss poor bad watch. No. I don't think they missed the mark like they did with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. God, we had no idea how good we had it with Crystal Skull. I still think it's the worst. It's not as bad as Dial of Destiny. So, opinions, opinions. <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> the future of the Indiana Jones IP. There's been some talk about this. Speaking personally, I'm happy to see it die with Ford, but you feel differently. Indiana Jones is the American James Bond, or it could be. The character is so well-written. The character is so well thought out. The world building is so well done that we could keep this going. My problem, though, is I don't trust Hollywood to necessarily do it because I feel like even when going back to Super Mario Brothers, why were celebrities doing the voices? Made no sense. Why does a celebrity have to play Indiana Jones. Like, when Indiana Jones first came around, was Harrison Ford as big? Yeah, they had made Star Wars A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. So now. what was his first vehicle, Star Wars? When, did, well, when, when, when were people like, oh, that's the guy from... I think in Star Wars, they were like, that's the guy from American Graffiti, because American Graffiti was huge. Mm, okay, but I mean, like, we could have these things grow in, make celebrities out of people instead of... Good luck. What do we got? Glenn Powell on the horizon right now? <laughs> No, like that's it's such a screwy little world because celebrities are now coming out of TikTok and 15 second videos and be like, I can do a two hour movie. And it's like, can you, bro? Can you? Um, so I don't know who you would slate in, but I know that Hollywood would want to do like Chris Pratt or something who fucking ruined my Jurassic Park movies. So yeah, so and he was in Super Mario Brothers. Well, that's the thing, he's in fucking everything, and why? <laughs> 
<laughs> no shade to Chris Pratt, but like one movie a year, maybe, you know, just right. relax a little bit. <laughs> um, hey, they got to get it while well, the good. Gig economy. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> So if they did transfer the Indiana Jones character to somebody else, who would you pick? So he's older, but for me, the only person that really captures the masculine energy, the comedy, um, the fallibility, and the charm and smile, and it's David Harbour. There's a part in Stranger Things season one where he goes into the like um, the Hawkins fucking laboratory center. We'll have to just look up the clip because I can't remember what he says, but he kind of does this like he says something to the guy and the guy's like, wait a minute, you said you were. And he's like, did I say that? <laughs> Sorry. Hands up. Hands up. Whoa, 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 whoa. You forgot all the cameras, bud? Look, Dr. Brenner asked for me specifically. OK, how else do you think I got in here? What's your name again? It's Jim Hopper. Chief Jim Hopper. Yeah, I've got Jim Hopper here. <laughs> it's so Indiana Jones. It's, it's wonderful. So that would be my choice. That's a good choice. I mean, like, the funny thing with Indiana Jones is there's two personalities, right? There's the professor and then there's the... Adventurer. Adventurer, yes. Could David Harbour play the professor as well? Yeah? I, yeah. The fun thing about the Indiana Jones casting would Bow be... Tie. It would be an American, right? So it could be anything underneath the sun. Oh, I don't give a shit if it's not an American. Does right, it, like Idris Elba be. would be a pretty cool Indiana Jones for a hot second. All right. I always like it. He just, <laughs> he can play. When they were like, he can't play Bond. I was like, fuck, he can play anything. He, he would be an amazing Bond. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he would be an amazing Indiana Jones. <laughs> I don't know. I just throw his name out. Action stars are hard nowadays. But yeah, I think Indiana Jones though is a great character, and I think we should keep him up, keep him going. I think it's the most squandered IP in in Hollywood. It's heartbreaking that they didn't make more when Ford was younger, when Lucas was into it, and before Steven Spielberg lost his head up his own ass. Well, moving on, Barbenheimer. Mm. This is my favorite thing that came out of the movies this year. An interesting little phenomenon, don't you think? Two films slated for release on the same day, the 21st of July, 2023. Somebody on the internet stirred the creative minds of meme culture with these like poster mashups you know, LOLing. Oh my God, these movies are so different and uh, more LOLing. And then this question started being asked of actors who weren't even involved in either. Um, I believe Tom Cruise was asked, which one are you going to see first? And maybe in an effort to remain neutral, a lot of people were like, oh man, I can't wait to see both. Normally, two films from two different studios released on the same day in the midst of summer would be at war, trying to poach each other's audience. Instead, it became this sort of like his or hers double feature. And I'm not entirely convinced it wasn't planned at the highest levels, but I'm a paranoid little cynic. Either way, it's unprecedented. I'm not mad at it. And at the very least, really positive and innovative marketing if it was. Yeah, I agree with you. This was my favorite thing that came out of the year only because of the cohesion between the two. They're all competing, right? It's all about money. But in the end of the day, these two came out and practically supported the other movie. Margot Robbie was talking about Oppenheimer and Killing Murphy was talking about Barbie. Like, it was crazy that we were witnessing this in real time. Of course, the studios saw that it was bankable to be this way and was like, all right, let's promote it in this fashion. And what I also liked about it was it was two completely different movies. It's weird because DC and Marvel are constantly competing with each other and it's like, but it's two completely different 
characters. You guys can support each other. You could be like, oh my gosh, I really love Batman, and maybe meld it together. Who the fuck does not remember who framed Roger Rabbit's? And that's Looney Tunes versus Disney coming together and creating a masterpiece. You probably just predicted the future. Damn! And that would be super cool. Would it? I don't know. Well, I'm excited to see more cooperation Mm -hmm. uh, and less, you know, got to get mine, fuck yours. Well, I think they're scrambling now. I don't think the landscape is as clear of a picture anymore now with all these streaming services. Also, the streaming services, weirdly enough, going back to commercials, (laughs) (laughs) throwing advertisements and things, which is completely upending. I can say from the writer's standpoint, it's because now we're going back to writing with commercial breaks in mind instead of limited series. So everything on the Hollywood horizon, everybody's kind of just sitting back and going, what's next? Because the streaming services themselves cannot sustain what they built. There's too many of them. So people are now whittling down on what they're necessarily going for. And Disney, with everything that they were doing, just building up their budgets, wanting more and higher budgets and higher spectacles and everything, can't sustain it because people are losing interest now. So now they're shares are dropping dramatically and every price is going up and sooner or later people are going to be like I'm not paying for all of this and the bubble bursts and where are we left at and I think that's what we're all kind of wondering in the next three years I'll hang on to all your physical (laughs) don't you worry what what did you call it fizzmead fizzmead mission impossible Still going. Um, The Christopher McQuarrie, Tom Cruise era of Mission Impossible. Part one of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, underperformed despite being the eighth highest grossing movie of 2023. And part two of Dead Reckoning got moved to May of 2025 because of the strikes. And so Cruise could promote part one. I guess Cruise was allegedly pissed off at Oppenheimer, who opened like, I think, a week, the following week after, or maybe two weeks. But I guess Oppenheimer gobbled up all the IMAX screens and Cruz stomped his little feet and crossed his stubby arms. <laughs> In the first few weeks of 2024, uh, Cruz did sign a non-exclusive deal with Warner Brothers, and he's got another Top Gun movie. In the works. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What do you think of Tom Cruise? You know, just generally. Let's burn some fucking bridges, buddy. I actually like Tom Cruise. Why not? (laughs) It makes you dumb and ugly. No, it doesn't. I like Tom Cruise. Another Top Gun movie, though, is squeezing the fucking juice out of the lemon, man. But goes right back to what we were talking about with Barbenheimer. He's all pissed off because Oppenheimer is stealing all the IMAX screens. Like, figure out a way to fucking work together. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, maybe stop making Mission Impossible movies. Right. Right. Or and putting your body at risk. And what is see at the movies? What's not meeting expectations? It didn't do Top Gun Maverick numbers. Which I guess blew off the box office top last year or twenty twenty two. Like you did a part one that was the eighth highest. That's pretty good, buddy. But do we need part one and part two? Part one was way too long. There was a lot that could have been cut or shortened. And it's one of those. It's like I know you and our social media person are not excited for Dune Part Two, but it's one of those things. Where it's like, you have to prove to me that this makes sense. And you have two movies that could fit apart. It's kind of like Deathly Hollows Part 1. I kind of just skip it, you know? I heard somebody say that that's their favorite Harry Potter movie. (laughs) 
I think it's the worst. Yeah. I, I would rather watch Sorcerer's Stone. Because there's no part for it. Like, it's all prologue. If you're doing a part one that's all prologue, you don't have a fucking movie, right? Yeah. Like, Fellowship of the Ring is not a part one. Fellowship of the Ring is a fucking movie. It's got a beginning, middle, and end. And it is very gratifying. Part one, Dead Reckoning, not. Dune was okay. Um, Breaking Dawn, part one. Who cares? I, I didn't see it. <laughs> What are your thoughts about Tom? Obviously, uh, you highlighted this question uh, as if we're just going to. I don't care for drink Tom some gin and. I don't care for Tom Cruise. Bridges. I think Tom Cruise is uh, history will tell the tale of Tom Cruise for good or ill, and I think in the next thirty years, if I'm alive, I'm going to see a lot of stuff about him and Scientology. You think? Uh, yes, I do. I feel like that time has come and passed. I think because he's still alive and making money for people, that mm-hmm. he's protected, and I think that that will pass when he does. The whole Scientology thing is crazy interesting to me. And that's the seesaw of words I have for that. Sometimes it's more crazy and sometimes it's more interesting of just like how it all exists. And I'm looking forward to studying it one day, but like I also avoid it every single year because I don't know if I want to know (laughs) why that exists in the world in a way. But kind of on the same topic and what I've been thinking about as we geared up for this episode is this year in particular I have really stopped believing in greatness in entertainers. I think people produce great work but I think we also give people People too much credit for great work of their past. I'm guilty of that. Are you? Well, I mean, I, I, I was taking it a step further, like exalting them beyond. They're just entertainers. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm definitely guilty. And producers. My brothers referred to me as a star fucker before. <laughs> and producers and directors. And we kind of like go like, I'm just going to say director. They are a great director because of this movie in their past. And it's like, we should start really judging people by their last project. And if their last three projects are not as great as their project from the 90s or whatnot, we got to start being like, they're a good director. Like, that's fine. But let's take them off that pedestal a little bit. Cut the highest oak so the shrubs can grow. We have seen so many producers in the film world create underwhelming projects and get it into the theaters. I enjoyed so much more foreign films this year than I did American films. And our American directors and writers and everything like that are really letting me down. And fuck, I don't know anybody of the foreign market, but like I'm watching the movie from Spain and whatnot and be like, this is an epic film and it's gripped me. So I don't know where we go in the future, but I know I'm going to stop looking at names so much and start looking at just kind of like projects and be like, I'm interested. Yeah, you're using the word project a lot. Yeah. I don't want to come down like hard on a director or a writer or anything like that, but like the film should be the sauce. The film should be what we are judging it on, not necessarily the names in it. The fucking Chris Pratt. Oh, I see where you're going with this. All right. Well, before we can get to that, I got a little bit more news. Um, Sound of Freedom made a splash this year. (laughs) So Sound of Freedom was the Jim Caviezel vehicle about child trafficking. Spro, you watched it. I could not finish it. Variety wrote that the film is considered MAGA-friendly and QAnon-adjacent. It's been championed particularly by QAnon believers and conservative viewers, despite the fact that the movie makes no reference to either MAGA or (laughs) QAnon. And it all seems to fall on star Jim Caviezel, who I have liked in the past, but we're going to judge him on his most recent movie. Evidently, he has espoused a conspiracy theory known as adrenochroming. Are you familiar with adrenochroming? Get a trigger warning, get a trigger warning, and we take a shot. Can I get a trigger warning? However you want it, night and 
For those of you who also are unfamiliar with the uh, gerund adrenochroming, it is a process that involves torturing children and draining their blood to harvest an elixir of use. So basically, you scare the ever-living shit out of a kid to the point where they release adrenaline. Then you kill them. Then you harvest their pineal gland. You take that pure adrenaline out of that and you drink it. So this is what people are talking about when they're like, you know, Tom Hanks and Bill Gates are drinking blood, like the baby's blood. In Washington, D.C. Like there was something with the pizza. Yeah, Pizza Gate or some bullshit like that. Yeah. So that's adrenochromic. Aren't you glad you know that now? The film's director, Alejandro Monteverde, has said more or less that casting Caviezel was the right choice because the subject matter was so very personal to the actor. But he nonetheless decided to distance himself from Caviezel once the film became politicized. He has gone on record saying that the this is the director, by the way, the associations with QAnon and MAGA hurt him personally and hurt his film. False. Right. Because it made a shit ton of money. Right. Like, it, <laughs> it might have hurt him personally. Right. But he can still say it hurt his film because he's less interested in the money and more interested in the film's proliferation. And unfortunately and he, for him, it wasn't a very well-directed film. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to qualify maybe what he meant. Because <laughs> because of its associations, you have a whole cross-section of the public that's like, I'm not fucking watching that. Anybody that knows me knows I'm staunch independent. And this year, I'm actually trying to turn off all media. All this bullshit is, I'm not going to say beneath me. Well, I'm going to say beneath me, but <laughs> just because I can't come up with a better term right now. But so I just I tried to find all the most salacious news. <laughs> so, like, I don't Trashy. care about any of this other than if it was a good movie. And the Oscars used to have an award for best original story. And I think this could be nominated for that. If we're talking about awards that this film should get or could get, I would say best original story. Because I like the story of this man who fucking goes balls out to try and stop child sex trafficking. It reminds me of one of my favorite films, which is Man on Fire. But the movie, the writing, the directing had pretty big flaws. And I remember back in the day when I was on Twitter, people were like, I just saw it in the theater for the fourth time. And as I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking about the person that sent that tweet. (laughs) And I'm like, how in the fuck? (laughs) Can you sit in this movie theater four times and not realize that the dialogue is dragging, that the story is just simply plopping forward? You know, the only thing that I could really give it credit for was the cinematography and this original story. But this is not a great film, but good for it making as much money as it did. People are dumb, mm-hmm. you know, like, and really conspiracy theorists, the whole, what is it called? Andronochroming? Ad- adrenochroming. Had to come from somewhere. I doubt middle class people are doing it in the suburbs of America. You never know. Never do know. I mean, I listen to... An adrenochromer of- could be closer to you than you think. <laughs> As you stare at me across the table. <laughs> it's probably my neighbor who's leaf blowing in the snow out of his driveway right now. <laughs> um, there are fucking monsters everywhere that... It's a crazy world that we live in, but it's not a rampant fucking thing that these QAnon people and MAGA maggot people, (laughs) and I don't want to, like, great, you believe in Donald Trump, have fun. And you know what? Actually, I'm going to save this bit because the next thing I think actually ties into my next thought if you want to move on to the next movie. Well, the next thing I was going to talk about was The Little Mermaid, and I wanted to know if you have enjoyed any of Disney's live action films. 
the reason why I wanted to talk about this one is because, so this is what Disney is doing with these live action remakes. They're saving their copyright. That's the only reason why they're doing it. And that's the reason why- And you've mentioned this before. And they open up the vault, right? Was back in our day. We open up the vaults and now you can re- But it's only for a limited time. Right. And so like Disney is very good at marketing. And so what they're also doing is the same way that Sound of Freedom heightened the voices of these fucking haters and shouters and conspiracy theorists. Disney, I feel, and maybe this is just a conspiracy theory, is casting these movies in a way that these assholes are going to shout from the heavens like, oh, your mermaid can't be black. And then Disney goes, see this movie because we got to fight this racism over here. There's a weird thing that's going on now where studios are like using hate clicking as a way to promote their films. And I think Disney is doing that. But on the same token, this is nothing against Halle Bailey. Halle Bailey was a fantastic mermaid. She was a wonderful mermaid. She looks Little like mermaid a mermaid could, <laughs> could have stood up on its own if it wanted to just cast whoever you want but make the casting also make sense because Ariel's family in The Lower Mermaid was a melting pot <laughs> and scientifically that doesn't fucking make sense <laughs> like but talk about The Little Mermaid nobody else was good in the movie Holly Bailey was great um, my girl Aquafina wasn't good who was she oh she, she was the voice of, of Scuttle Right. No, the live but, action fishes and crabs didn't work. The music didn't work. Like, if you're going to make, if you're going to remake The Little Mermaid into a live action, don't fucking do the Disney version. Do the fairy tale dark version. Dark ass one where she dies at the it end. It would have been fucking amazing. That would be rope. That would be rope. <laughs> I was going to say rad and dope, and I said that would be fucking rope, bro. Bet. Cap. I don't know. You could do it. These kids these days with their vernaculars. Yeah, rope. It's on TikTok. Yeah. Look it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really, I don't have any interest in watching it. They do these live action remakes of the cartoons and it's like, we know the cartoons. We love the cartoons. Do you remember when Ursula became the bad version of Ariel? Was in, that Little Mermaid 2? No, in the, no, Ursula's dead. Does oh, Ursula they, come back in the, the second Little Mermaid? Did you watch the straight to VHS Little Mermaid? <laughs> I did actually. No, I remember when she goes on land, she's got yeah. Ariel's voice. Okay. And she's like that raven haired, like mm -hmm. bitchy look on her face. You liked her? I did like her when I was a kid. <laughs> Ariel was my first crush. But that was the other thing, too. Weirdly, with the Little Mermaid cartoon version, the scariest moment for me was when she's like, fuck it, and just becomes Ursula again, and then grabs Ariel. And, like, slurps off the side of the boat. That fucking, like, for whatever reason, that image was ingrained in my brain. So that was, as I was watching the live action, I was like, better fucking do this, this moment right. And they didn't. Not really, no. Yeah. All right, so speaking of scary shit, as usual, horror films did pretty well. Uh, Talk to Me probably being the biggest breakout hit. Maybe Megan, that was pretty early on in the year, but Megan did pretty well. And then Five Nights at Freddy's to circle back to the video game discussion. The strikes, the WGA and the SAG strikes um, occurred, but we kind of covered that pretty well with yeah. Emily a couple weeks back. And just cap this whole section off with some highlights from the Library of Congress National Film Registry Class of 2023. 12 Years of Slave, Home Alone, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which you just saw. Mm-hmm. For That's the first time all the way through. bonkers to me that you had never seen that movie. <laughs> Terminator 2 Judgment Day, 
Apollo 13, Lady and the Tramp, Desperately Seeking Susan, which you... I don't understand that. Like, so You revisited it for um, a Streep episode, right? Yes, it was Streep. And you were like, it is not good. <laughs> no, and I'll, I'll probably dive into a wormhole and just be like, what's the cultural significance of Desperately Seeking Susan? Madonna? I guess. Was that but she's Into the Groove? Things. That was Into the Groove. Mm -hmm. That's a great fucking song. Well, then put the music video into the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one where... Isn't that the one where she's in Venice? And Maybe, there's right. The man I'm the thinking band. of Open Your Heart. I'm thinking of Open Your Heart. God with the damn. With the peep Madonna show. Madonna was so good back in the day. She was absolutely sex personified for me. Was she? Yes. <laughs> you might leave that out. <laughs> Fame, love and basketball, and bamboozled. There's some more, but those are the ones that people probably would know. So... All right, I'm going to turn it over to you, Spro. We made some predictions on our last year in review. Predictions for the year 2023. Let's see which ones came true. All right, so in 2022, we said that the biggest movie of 2023 would be Dune 2, which was delayed, I guess. Absolutely. Um, Guardians you, 3. You guess. <laughs> <laughs> and Fast X. Okay, so. and those two made the list. Yeah. And Dune would have been right up there at the top. Where do you think it would have landed, though? It would have made a bill. You think it would have been over Oppenheimer? I do. I would Not put it right under Oppenheimer, but over Guardians. All right. So we're kind of like in the same ballpark. Lee wanted Barbie to make a ton of money. Quote, because it's not going to be my beloved Indiana Jones. You quote, almost did like a, a dork voice just now. Because <laughs> it's not going to be. You almost did that. Because it's not going to be my beloved Indiana Jones. And it sure wasn't. And I was right. And it made a ton of money. It so did. good job on it that did. one. It did. I think that was the biggest surprise also of how fucking much money well, I mean, he was making. Yeah. Pulling in. But was it a surprise? I mean, really? <laughs> really was it a surprise? I think it was. Huh. But I mean, like, I didn't necessarily like it. Box office to exceed $9 billion. I thought you said eight billion. I could have swore you said eight billion. I think I was just going off of what the last box office was, and I was oh, just growing. Okay. Well, you were close. This wasn't like a prediction for 2023, but one Avatar movie will be shown in VR goggles. Yep, we're going to keep our eyes on that prediction. Do you think so? That's what I, I'm saying. We're going to keep yeah. our eye on it. The new Avatar 3 is in production, so it's supposed to be, what, Christmas of 2025? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam Worthington just said something along the lines of, it's it's so big, can't even fathom how fucking big it's going to be, bro. <laughs> That's what I say before my date. Oh, God. <laughs> VR schooling, I think, will be metagoggles by 2030. I hope so. Again, we're revisiting some a little too early. We have to let these, yep. we have to let these cook a little longer. I think it would be great because it would put the onus back on parents to ensure that their kids are, A, not being disruptive assholes, and B, doing their fucking work. Imagine a fucking classroom where, like, the disruptive students, you're like, mute, you know? Like and then if they start doing stuff in the video... Shut their video off. Yeah. I feel like they're, people are going to be like, this is a really good tool. For and the problem is there's so many good kids that want that. Mm -hmm. They'll never speak up because they're terrified of what will happen to them if they do. Yeah. So these assholes get, get to run everything. And then they're supported by their parents who are then in turn supported by the principals and administration because they are all politicians and have no backbone. And anytime a parent is like, oh, I'll fucking go to the news. <laughs> I fucking hate teaching. <laughs> I fucking hate teaching. All right. Uh, 
Next. Um, you'll have to let me know how this goes, but Biden and Trump will, <laughs> will not be the presidential nominees. From what I saw at the end of 2023, I feel like that's actually going to be the case. Dead wrong, son. You were dead. Yeah. Did I say that or did you? I did. You did. Because my friend Kate was like, I don't think they're going to. I was like, oh, well, God bless you. <laughs> but um, Oh, that wasn't your prediction. You were just repeating it? Yeah, I was parroting. Uh, but, uh, but I liked the idea. That yeah. Biden Wouldn't that be Trump... great? We're right back where we started. <laughs> This is hell. We live in hell. Well, that's part of the reason why I had to turn out the media for this year is because people are excited to vote for one of those. And I was like, I can't be in that realm. I disagree. I, I mean, there are people that... They're more excited to defeat the other guy than yes. they are to vote for theirs. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. But I think the majority of rational Americans wish that your friend had been right with this <laughs> prediction. And then I predicted that one Spro and Leave episode would be recorded in person, and now this is our second. We did one in 2023. This is 2024. Ah, yeah. Mm. Lee really wants all of them recorded in person. I do. I, I think this is better. You and I sitting here together sharing the same space. I like it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see um, how the recording sounds and everything like that. It's just, it's more of a bitch. It is, but it, I think it's a, worth it. So, okay. You really wanted to record in person. I did. Are you going to look into how that's possible? I, I, I did all this, and you I did. don't want to record it. <laughs> you, you did. That's fair. That's like, fair. That's and true. so, like, because I did, and I, I don't understand what I'm reading. And I don't like that's like I would have to go to an, an AV technician and be like, "Can you help me? Because I don't know." <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. Like, it's a good fucking thing we had MC right with now. us when we recorded that best original because it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, <laughs> if it was just you and me. And even that, like, that wasn't as like because MC was always the one that set up our audio equipment, no. so he knows how to do that. But then, like, you put three people in the room, and then it was an editing nightmare. You know, so it's a funny peek between behind the scenes with like our listeners that we, at the end of the day, are amateurs, right? We are. And we're well, like, we're, we're, we're doing USB mics. Yeah. Everybody that's worth their damn in podcasting is going to tell us we shouldn't be using USB mics. Right. But in the same instance, we have fucking listeners. You showed me the numbers the other day. I was like, it's fucking bonkers that people listen to what, like our fucking opinions. And it's regardless of how amateurish Or they are. download it and then they listen for five minutes and then <laughs> the rest of it is lost to time. <laughs> Either or, but I mean, like, we only have download numbers. We don't have streaming numbers. Yeah. And really, at the end of 2023, we did the interview with Bobby. I have about six now Hollywood connections that I talk to that are like, can I be on your show? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, but what would we talk about? And I'm like, whatever you want. I was like, but it's academy-based and it's also the profession-based. So, like, if you have stories or anything like that. so we, That's awesome. Yeah. It's fun to think about as you and I learn how to set all this up and grow that there's a fucking audience behind it, too. and Not a big one, but there's an audience. Oh, stop with the fucking... <laughs> when you guys do that. I mean, even if it was like five strangers out in L.A. that are just like, this is my podcast where I get the goods on the Academy Awards or anything like that. Like, that's fucking incredible. At the end of the day, at the end of 2023, at the beginning of 2024, fucking appreciate everybody right now listening to us out there in the, in the verse. And if you're like, I know how to set up audio equipment... <laughs> Fucking reach out because yeah, I look provide at, pictures because like I'm looking at like 
three men sitting on the same couch with handheld mics and they sound amazing. And I'm like, how the fuck is that possible? We were three men sitting around an Elliot Ness poker table and every mic was picking up every fucking thing in the room. And I was like, I don't understand. It wasn't that bad. Did you listen to like the... I was the one that edited it. You edited after I made everything sound Oh, that's right. You did. I forgot. (laughs) I was like sitting there for just lining up consonant sounds and like, and then muting everybody's mic one at a time when somebody was talking because that mic was the clearest but if everybody talked over it sounded like we were in a vacuum but then you just see fucking Shane Gillis just sitting there with a handheld drunk as fuck and be like the ones that are like this big yeah and I'm like how the fuck so obviously sound is an academy award and sound designers are geniuses and if anybody has any insight onto any of that take on the academy at gmail.com yes please Let's talk about some of our favorite movies. We used to just talk about everything. We decided maybe last year or two years ago that instead of talking about everything, let's save the likely Oscar contenders for the Oscar show. So let's go through our top five movies of the year, starting at number five. Okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. My fifth favorite movie was Oppenheimer. I'm not going to sing its praises. I've shat on Nolan a lot on this podcast. I have said that his purse strings need to be taken from him. Memento is one of the greatest scripts I think I've ever read. But he does this thing where some of his scripts need a better draft. With all that said, I went to go see Oppenheimer as my duty as a cinephile that I had to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer in the theaters. And I walked out of it saying, if Nolan had to direct all the previous movies in order to get to Oppenheimer, I'm glad he did. Because Oppenheimer, I think, is his masterpiece. The sound design was probably my favorite part. It was too long. The third act was a completely different movie than the first two. And I think that was kind of jarring for some folks who thought that probably the atomic bomb was going to be the climax of the movie. And that's not necessarily what the yeah, movie you was have to have completely the, about. the aftermath. Yeah. I think all the performances, sans one, which we'll probably get to in the Oscar pre-show, were fantastic. And Killian Murphy, I could watch all day. Like, I've loved Killian Murphy. Peaky Blinders is one of my top shows. That man is a joy to watch on screen. And so is, like, Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt. Rob Downey. Rob Downey's fine. He won the Golden Globe, and I was like, meh. Matt Damon, playing Matt Damon. We'll get to him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, my, my number five is Oppenheimer for the year. My number five is Blackberry, which is the story of the founding of Blackberry. Mm-hmm. This movie was written and directed, I believe, by Matt Johnson. It was definitely directed by Matt Johnson, who stars um, as probably the third lead, maybe supporting character. This movie was it was the best industry movie I've seen since since Social Network. I thought it was captivating. I thought it was expertly shot. It was reminiscent of Scarborough. Very similar filming style. Felt like they were making a documentary rather than a film, which I think really helps dramatizations. But Glenn Howerton playing Jim Balsilli, or however you say his fucking name, I'm a huge It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan. And in the same way that if you were a Seinfeld fan, you were, you know, one day you'd be like, oh, Kramer's the best. And then get deeper into the show and you're like, George really 
really is the best. And then you get even deeper and you're like, Elaine is a wonderful character and underappreciated. Same way with It's Always Sunny. And I've done the rounds on everyone and most recently landed on Dennis, played by Glenn Howerton. He's fucking great. His character is amazing and his delivery, his timing. The man is is a, a born craftsman when it comes to performance. And him and Blackberry, nothing short of amazing. So not only was the, the movie wonderful, but he was terrific. And I really recommend it. Nice. My number four is Anatomy of a Fall which we'll probably get into talking more about, but it's a French film. And if you're like, well, I don't want to watch an international film because of subtitles. The one cool thing you could go into knowing is that, and I don't know how this is going to maybe hurt its Academy Award chances, but a lot of it's in English because two people are coming from two different countries and they settle on English as the language that they can use to talk to each other with, Hmm. which is par for the course in the world right now. Because in 2023, I went to Taiwan and they spoke English, Taiwanese and Mandarin. And so the people in Germany would speak English to the Taiwanese and the people in France would speak English to the Taiwanese because... Currency of the world. Currency of the world. And Anatomy of a Fall was the same way. If you like true crime, I think you will love this movie. Because it's an award darling, people might steer away because they feel like the Academy Awards and these award-giving movies aren't necessarily for them. But I think this movie is one of those that the... Mass appeal. Yeah, mass appeal. And I firmly recommend it. And I threw uh, the Meringue trumpet solo cover of... 50 Cent's Pimp? Pimp on our season four (laughs) playlist. That cover's sick. So I started the movie and was just running and then I don't know if I like the subtitles telling me what song is playing. I definitely don't like it when they start having the subtitle of the lyrics of the song because I don't necessarily think like that matters as much. And then it's like interspersed with dialogue and you're (laughs) like, stop it! So then you can see how horrible some song choices are because they'll be like, woman in the woods. And you're like... Fuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wouldn't have noticed that if they didn't like point it out. But as I'm running and then Anatomy of a Fall and it's it's an awards darling and everything like that. And then the subtitle says 50 cents P-I-M-P. I was like, fuck is going on here? Yeah. All right. My number four is Killers of the Flower Moon. And this is kind of what I thought you were talking about earlier when you were like, no, let's let some of the the young trees get a little sunlight. But I think Scorsese is one of the few dudes who, he's one of the few oak trees we should leave. I mean, the guy paces a three-hour film. I I know you're going to disagree with me. (laughs) But the guy paces a three-hour film in such a way that I don't get bored. And I put Killers in my number four out of respect for Marty, I'll admit. But I also think it's an interesting companion piece to The Irishman, which I like and also you don't like. These are both very late-stage entries for Scorsese, who's going to be turning 80-fucking-2. They both deal deeply in relationships and the betrayal and guilt and love. And both of them are Marty at, like, his most indulgent. I'm not mad at it. I think the man is almost 60 years in the business, and he's still throwing the fuck down. And I think anything that he shares with us is a blessing. And I know you're about to be like, well, you think bringing out the dead was a blessing? (laughs) Okay, fine. Not everything, but I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm afraid of losing him, which is going to happen here pretty soon. I'm not going to disagree with you with Killers of Flower Moon now. Well, I didn't sound off about Oppenheimer. I'm just going to chuckle and let that chuckle speak for it. And then we'll talk about it in the Oscars pre-show. Okay. Um, And I just listened to Marty's awards chatter on the Hollywood Reporter podcast, which I always preach on this show. Did he jump on on that episode? Yeah, he's one of the... three interviews ago they did like Billie Eilish and then they did Marty Scorsese and then oh Ava DuVernay um, for Origin Daniel Brooks for The Color Purple Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers Julianne Moore for May December which we'll get to Um, so 
My number three is Poor Things, and this is one where I think it's Yorgos Lanthimos's time to shine, man. Like, I have ADD. I have something. I'm undiagnosed with ADD or ADHD or workaholism, whatever it is, but like, I can't sit still unless given a reason to. And so with Yorgos Lanthimos, he is such a mood director that I have to go see his stuff in the theater so that I can get exactly what he's doing. And when it came to Poor Things, it was probably one one of my favorite theater experiences of the year. I tried to go see this twice. And the first time, I accidentally bought the tickets for Friday. And then I opened up the tickets on Sunday and I'm like, awesome. So then I bought them again for the following weekend. And we had to shuffle a bunch of plans around. And uh, the movie got uh, the boot. I will say, if there's anything to go against it, maybe 10 to 15 minutes too long. But with everything going on, with all these long movies going on, where I'm like, 30 to 45 minutes too long, like, that's not bad. Emma Stone, really good in it. Mm -hmm. I won an award her because we gave her a silly award for La La Land. She's moving up the, the pecking order. The other problem I have with that is she goes full nudity. And I don't want it to seem like we're awarding that, which is kind of what I thought when Lady Gaga had a sex scene in House of Gucci and she was moving up the pecking order with that. I was like, I don't want it to seem like, oh, if you show us everything, you can get awarded. Nomination, fine. Fine with the nomination. It's not that good. I kind of always go back to put it with Meryl Streep, Sophie's Choice. No, fuck off. It's not that. And even one of the one of the movies that is down on my list had two fantastic fucking female performances, which we'll talk about, that I'm fine with awarding either of them the coveted prize over Emma Stone for Poor Things. Just a little fun fact about the sex scenes in Poor Things, which I haven't seen. The British asked for an edited <laughs> edited version of Poor Things. They, I, I guess they refused, flat out refused to show Lanthimos' cut because they thought that the sex scenes were too fucked up. Which is funny because it's usually the Eastern yeah. world that does stuff like that. But that's... I think about America's really long one Grandpappy. with Mirren. Oh, the cook. The wife, <laughs> the fitness lover, or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think about that because the sex scenes were like montages in a way, right? And there was only like one cut where it's Mark Ruffalo and Emma Stone, and he has her leg, one leg on his shoulder, and the other leg is like that. Like it's that sex position. It's like comes. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen that one in a film before. But it's not. I watched. It, I was like, this isn't necessarily jarring. And I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but obviously the one thing that I'm really struggling with with Hollywood movies is the statutory rape. That that just kind of gets swept under the rug. And this one, I remember reading about it and I was like, well, she's got the mentality of a three-year-old. And I was like, I'm not going to fucking like this. But that's not what it is at all. Like, I, <laughs> it, there was one person in it where I was like, that man better not touch her because that man looks at her like a three-year-old. But everybody else, you have to see the movie. I don't want to spoil yeah, the damn thing. But don't. like, I went into the theater thinking it was going to be a problem and it wasn't. So Excellent. My number three is The Killer. This one did not make your list. So I actually kind of want to hear your take on it first, just real quickly. It's not going to win any Oscars, so we can talk about it a little bit. But we're both fans of David Fincher. I think you hold him in higher regard than I do. No? This is actually the start of my philosophy of, like, no great anymore. Mm. Because I was talking to somebody in L.A. and I was like, he used to be my favorite director. And it's not necessarily because The Killer was bad. It's actually one of the only films I watched twice this year because I was like, I need to give this a second shot because what the fuck. And I realized the comedy that was under it all. The first time I watched it, I took it at 
face value, everything that he was saying, that he was this great killer and whatnot. And I was like, you, every fucking decision you make is wrong. So I had to rewatch it to be like, <laughs> that's what this is about. And then I was like, this movie, it was a fine movie, but it's not going to make any of my lists, you know? So then I looked back and I was like, what was the last movie that David Fincher did that I was like, yes, he's my favorite fucking director. And I think it was The Social Network. And you weren't a fan of Dragon Tattoo or Gone Girl? Gone Girl, yes. Dragon Tattoo, no. Definitely not Mank. And I don't like that he joined with Netflix. Put your shit in the movie theater. That's where I want to go. It was for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put up my hoodie so I don't share neck sweat. I think gone are the days where I'm going to see a, a Fight Club 7 social network Fincher film. I'm happy for that, though. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like the fact that he's he's definitely growing. He's trying to extend his reach. And I like the fact that it's on Netflix. Yes, I think it makes it a little less special. But that's just a frame of mind that we need to reshape. You know, some of the hallmarks of Fincher's filmmaking are in here. You got the gruesome violence, this very sterile imagery. Of course, the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score. And a script by Andrew Kevin Walker, whom he hasn't worked with since Seven. Mm-hmm. But the thing I like most about this movie had to do with the script. And maybe it was carried over from the source material. I don't know. But the protagonist narrates almost constantly. Yet once it's over, you know very little at all about who he is. Most of it is this like procedural recitation and occupational maxims. It's as though he's ceased to be anything but a hired killer. So does he have any humanity left? And I think you could make arguments on both sides. And the way Fincher paces this movie with the narration is also fascinating. And I can't wait to watch it again. I'm glad that you watched it again. I think that's funny because this is the first 2023 movie that I will probably revisit. And it'll be very easy to do so because it's on Netflix. In fact, I'll probably end up watching this one quite a bit. If there's nothing else on and I'm alone, this one might become the new Irishman. Huh, I support that. Yeah, no, and I think when it comes to Fincher, I think I'm more in love with this TV work now, you know? Like, I liked Mindhunters. Mind I liked amazing. Um, House of Cards I really liked, despite how that all evolved. Mm-hmm. And Love, Death, and Robots is something that when that enters my queue again, I'm like, fuck yeah. And then I watch, sit down and watch those. So, yeah, looking it up, Gone Girl was 2014, so we're now at 10 years since I really liked one of his films. And do I want, like, a favorite director, or do, do I just want people that I appreciate in the here and now? But then how can you tell people the kind of person you are if you can't share? (laughs) (laughs) My number two. So right after my divorce, my nephew, JJ, was like, can you take me to a movie? And we went to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I took him to Five Guys, the burger place, right beforehand. And my sister was like, don't let him eat too fast or he'll throw up. And the dude was just scarfing down a burger. Is this the one who ate the toothpaste? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, the one New Year's resolution I had of that year was put a bunch of crunch in popcorn because I always heard people going in the movie theaters and putting a bunch of crunch in popcorn. So what I was the like, fuck is bunch of crunch? It's uh, like crunch bars, but like broken up into oh, little cr- balls nice. um, of chocolatey, crispy goodness. And so I was like, JJ, we're going to do this. And he's like, okay. And so we did that in the theater. He's talking all during the trailers. And I was like, hey, just so you know, you're going to shut the fuck up when the movie starts. <laughs> I have rules, all right? Like, the boy must learn. Yeah. 
Another weird-ass movie rule that I have is when you eat popcorn, that first bite, close your mouth. Like, put the popcorn in your mouth, close your mouth, and then crunch. Because there's way too many people that keep their mouth open for that first crunch, and you could hear it throughout the whole fucking theater. (laughs) Now I'm going to be self-conscious next time we go and see a movie together. I'm going to be like... Because I always do the scarf in, and you're already biting. Yeah, I do that. (laughs) You get that. (laughs) I fucking do that. Oh, man. Like, privatize your chewing. Well, um, did he throw up? That's what I no, want to know. No, he did not oh, throw up. fuck yeah. And he enjoyed the Five guys, of- bunch of crunch popcorn, and no puke. That's <laughs> yeah. good. Good. And this dude is, like, a little homie now. Like, he's ninth grade. He's had a girlfriend for two years, you know? And, like, this comes out, and he's like, so we're going to that together, right? And I was uh-huh. like, oh, my little heartstrings. And so, yes, we went to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. One, it's a great film. Two, it's something that you could share with every member of your family. And three... I think like the there is no three I don't know why I started because <laughs> lists should have three things <laughs> that's awesome though it was probably my favorite theater experience of the year second is actually watching you storm out of oh to Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah no that's why that's my number two all right my number two is bottoms Bottoms was the most fun that I had watching a movie from 2023. It's like Mean Girls on cocaine rated R. Nice. I've seen this one yet. Must be seen to to be believed. And I could see that it might irritate some people. Fine. Um, It doesn't have as high of a score as I think it, it deserves. Uh, but I think it's clever. It had me fucking laughing out loud. Marshawn Lynch as their teacher is fucking hilarious. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Both those girls are stars. All the kids, all the girls, all the boys. It was fucking hilarious. I, I had so much fun watching it. I wish I'd seen it in the theater. I had wanted to, um, but it was, you know, fucking theater windows now are you blink and it's like, fuck. Right. So, Bottoms. I, I saw it on your list, and I got confused at first with Bros, the gay movie, because Bottoms could be. Well, the two girls, and the two lead girls are... Lesbians? Lesbians. Okay. But yeah, no, whoever was the director of Bros and was like, you're a homophobe if you don't see the movie. I'm like, well, I'm not a homophobe. My mom's in your movie. Oh, and the soundtrack from Bottoms is fucking sick. I'll check it out. What put, is, it, uh, is it streaming on something right now? I watched it. it uh, no, I didn't have to buy it. There's a couple of, um, couple of free trials happening i did a free trial for amc plus paramount plus was yeah paramount plus and showtime i have paramount do you have the showtime link up though with paramount i'm one of those did... people that just like what am i subscribed to so it's on showtime cool yeah bottoms is fantastic check it out um and my number one fuck i didn't want it to be <laughs> did not want it to be was past lives and there was two movies that came out this year that i sat down and was like this is just a fucking rip off of this one was saltburn i thought it was talented mr ripley for the new age and past lives at first i was like this is like a sleep in Seattle type like long distance relationships and then as it evolved this is one of those movies that I was like ah this is really affecting me this is like making me think about like past relationships and past lives and every relationship that I have in my circle it's so much more than a love story it is so much more than like an unrequited love story so it's about two people that meet when they're like teenagers go in their separate lives have like a reconnection for a moment and think like maybe and then 
what happens past that. It's such a simple story written and told very well and acted very well that I was I was hooked all the way through. And then like was thinking like, should I write these people and be like, hey man, remember the time that we hung out at this point? Or like, hey, just making sure you're like, it makes you like want to reflect on everybody that you've ever come across in your life. Reflect on like the good people that you came across that you just kind of like let fall by the wayside. And then ask yourself, why did that moment happen? Why did I have such a good friendship with that person for like, like six months and then never talk to them again. I'd already do that. I don't need a movie to remind. <laughs> well, then I bet you cry. Okay. <laughs> when it came to like a year where I was like, well, nothing really thrilled me. Like past lives, like kind of moved up. And I looked at my list of like the top five and I was like, these could be interchangeable in any day. Anatomy of a Fall was fantastic with like the true crime and like how that unfolded. And then Across the Spider-Verse, I'll probably go back to more than anything else. Oppenheimer was at the bottom, but it, it was one of those where I was like, I was wrong about Nolan. Like he can still do it. So we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. That's my number one. And my number one, which I already know you don't like, <laughs> is Todd Haynes' film, May, December. And it's my number one because it invited the most extraneous thought. I was completely engaged watching it. I felt uncomfortable. I felt challenged. I was upset. I was disgusted. It just fucking got to me. It's listed as a black comedy. Was that obvious to you? I mean, I laughed. I giggled maybe once or twice, but I found it pretty deadly serious. If I laughed, it was like an uncomfortable, like yeah. the most uncomfortable well, that's laugh black was comedy, talking right? to the students. And I was like, oh, fucking stop. Yeah. Yes, dude. <laughs> um, you know, the first laugh that kind of cues you in like, it's okay to laugh at this, where the music sting hits the burning, 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 <laughs> which I put on our season four playlist. And you think she's going to say something profound and she's looking in the refrigerator and then the music stops and she's like, I don't think we have enough hot dogs. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. I ask you that because it's the dramatic elements where I think it derives most of its success. The performances of the three leads is the best acting all, all year. Portman, Moore, their interactions with their subtle contempt for one another, and then, you know, the gradual reveal of who these two women really are. These fucking self-centered, calculating, manipulative predators. So fucking compelling to watch. And of course, Charles Melton's first big role outside of television. I could go on. I really like liked everything about this one and it is not a pleasant watch it is tense it is upsetting but it is a real work of art and i may never watch it again <laughs> <laughs> ultimately what do you think the film is saying about pedophilia and rape of minors i didn't think that the film was trying to excuse it i think it did a really good job of taking something that you know because child predators aren't these snarling beasts it's always, they're so charming. They're a, a, some sort of a public figure. They're so... Well, they're almost more forgivable if they're women. The story upsets me. As it should. Right? So this is what I was talking about when it came to Emma Stone in Poor Things. I was like, there was two other great performances, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. And really, when they're in the bathroom together putting on makeup, I stepped outside of myself in that scene and I was like, this feels like De Niro and Pacino and Heat for me right now. These are two powerhouses staring at each other in close proximity. And I was like, this is probably one of my favorite scenes of the year to see those two sharing the screen together. Julianne Moore had an interview with the Hollywood Reporter Awards Chatter podcast where she only referred to her character's crimes as transgressions, and that upset me. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you know, her transgressions, fucking rape. <laughs> Like, I would recommend looking up Todd Haynes because he did some press. You know, there's some directors that are like, hey, I'm not talking about the fucking... Like David Lynch is like, 
Whatever you think the film is about is what it's about. Right. But Todd Haynes will lay it out for you. I was talking to somebody recently and they tried to tell me, they're like, well, they did interviews and it was actually the boy that was the aggressor. And so I was like, what the fuck are you talking to me about? (laughs) That's, I mean, and I don't want to, I don't want to blow it up for anybody, but when Joe and Gracie, when they finally had the discussion and there's no actress around and there's no pretense and Julianne Moore, the way she says, who is in charge? Mm -hmm. It's like she's recalling something that she said to him years ago who is in charge you were fucking in charge (laughs) she is so i mean it's not a that movie's not a good look for women (laughs) (laughs) like my wife was watching it over my shoulder i think she agrees with me that so far that's the most well-made movie that we've watched i haven't seen all of them but yeah dude i mean that that movie fucking floored me it wasn't even over and i turned to her and i was like i'm never watching this again (laughs) Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I'm fine with this movie winning whatever accolades it could possibly want. It's not one of my favorite films. Like, right. it was a good watch. Like, I really enjoyed the watch. I think that might be why I put Bottoms at number two. I'm like, <laughs> I need to have the one that I had the most fun with at number two. And maybe that's why Across the Spider-Verse is, you know, my number two. But um, I will say we're talking about actors in the movie. And I immediately texted my people in Hollywood and said, Corey Michael Smith, who played Georgie, his fucking scenes were mesmerizing. I would work with him and he'd like, if he ever wanted to read like that would be amazing it's awesome yeah no the movie incites conversation oh, man. in the end i just don't want people thinking that adult child relationships is normal i just read lolita and i was like how the fuck is this the fourth best book of all time the man literally spends 300 pages fantasizing over nymphets as he calls them it's got a lot of alliteration got a lot of nice prose i was like but this is a Fucking sick book. And so, May, December, wonderful movie. Everybody should see it once, but look at children like children. All right, when are we back? Pretty soon, huh? Right before the Oscars. Yeah, we got an Oscar show coming up, and we have a guest joining us for that. Her name is Megan, and she is not on any podcasts. She just happens to be a fan of Sproly Take on the Academy, a follower on Instagram, and a digital pen pal. We're excited to have her on. She sees everything, so uh, and she's got lots of big ideas. Plus, she's Generation Z, and I think we need we need a younger person's opinion on the Oscars. Sure. I was just thinking about like. Do we trash Gen Z? Oh yeah, we oh yeah. So she can, she can, she, she can, can tell us fuck off. To yeah, her face. there you go. We invite anger. We <laughs> we incite anger. All right, that's all I got. You got anything? I'm Spro. <laughs> I'm Lee, and uh, we hope to see you sitting front row in the envelopes of row. Mm-hmm.